Hi, Gary, can you just introduce yourself um, and your role at uh, Standard Chartered? Sure, Max. I'm Gary Lowe. I head up the credit insurance desk at Standard Chartered Bank. Uh, so my team and I are responsible for all of the bank's buying of credit and political risk insurance across the group. First up, why do you buy credit insurance and for what type of deals? Uh, well, we're looking to manage our risk uh, on, on the book, which is a function of, of limits so that we can do more to support our existing clients. Um, prudent portfolio risk management, whether that's by sector or by country or by, uh, by name, um, and for capital management. Um, so where we have high RWA charges on a particular transaction, then insurance can be uh, a useful tool uh, within our distribution toolkit for, for managing that. Um, the book is well diversified um, and it's really grown over, over the last few years, both in terms of, of quantum of, of insurance that we've placed, but also perhaps more significantly in terms of the, the spread of business. Um, so it's everything from, from traditional trade finance, including pre-export finance, import finance, etc., but right through to project finance, shipping, aviation, uh, a large part of it has grown in the corporate loan book, including RCFs. Um, I suppose the more innovative side of it, which is, which is a very small part of what we're doing, but it's worth mentioning just because of the innovation, um, would be around swaps, um, bonds, securitizations. Um, so it's, it's quite an interesting space to be in. If I look at the majority of the book, um, it's probably corporate loans of, of one sort or another. Uh, but even within that, it could be a sub-Saharan African oil deal, or it could be a, a US domestic investment grade credit. It, it really is very wide, widely spread. What are your current most active regions and sectors? Um, it's interesting. I, I find, you know, if, if you asked me this question annually, I, I would give a, a different answer. Um, so I think, you know, 2013 was an Africa year and 2014 was a China year. Um, since then, it's probably begun to, to spread more widely. Um, this year, I would say the Middle East has probably been the biggest part of what we've been doing. Uh, that started off very much as a theme last year, in 2017, um, and has, has continued to grow. Um, Oman, Saudi, Bahrain, Egypt, either, either done or, or, or actively looking at. Um, we continue to be active and, and growing in, in, in Asia. Um, Vietnam, Indonesia, China, of course, continues to be very big. Um, the US, surprisingly, perhaps, um, given the, the emerging market focus that, that the uh, insurance markets traditionally had, has nevertheless been growing significantly. Um, so I think the one word answer is um, Middle East, um, but, but it is very broadly spread. As a bank, we don't really play in, in Russia and, and the CIS, so I guess that's the one space where the wider market um, has traditionally done a lot of risk, but, but we really aren't in that space. Do you use more than one insurance broker, or do you shop about? <laughs> so, um, my view on that um, is that it's important to have, whether it's one broker or multiple brokers, you know, people who understand your business. Um, and, and a team who is resourced to, to support it. Um, I suppose stepping back, I would say that we do use brokers. Um, I think they're important, I think they add value, I think they help um, not only in terms of picking up the phone, we can certainly do that ourselves, but in terms of documentation, agency function, operational management, uh, but simply things like invoicing the premiums, but more importantly, being able to more efficiently uh, place risk and manage risk. Um, so I'll answer your question, which is we predominantly use one broker. 
uh, who, who are excellent on our account. We selectively use others in, in specific situations. So we've mandated one broker on a particular region. Um, we have used other brokers on, on individual transactions where there was a, a client angle. Uh, I think it's very important to have a strategy. Uh, I think there are some banks who just I don't know, go through their Rolodex and seem to pick up the next card, and I think that's an inefficient approach. Uh, we're very well served by our core broker and, and, and you know, open to, to using others where there's a proposition. How does the claims process work for you? Well, we have had claims. Um, we've paid more in premium to the market than we've collected in claims, which is something I'm always keen to, to tell insurers. Um, we've had recoveries too, which, which further offsets um, that, that kind of gross number. Um, but I suppose the headline message is uh, claims work. Uh, for, and we're talking about non-payment comprehensive credit insurance here as opposed to the political risk products. Uh, it is binary. Um, we do see that the trigger is non-payment of a scheduled principal repayment um, and claims get paid. I think if I was being a critical observer, I would say it can seem a little intimidating having a loss adjuster coming in, um, having to sit down and, and go back through the files and explain quite how our underwriting process was, or, or the bank's underwriting process was, was initially done. Um, but we've had four or five claims now and, and all of them have worked smoothly. Uh, I think it's entirely reasonable that insurers ask questions. It's typically uh, an exercise to satisfy the reinsurers and to satisfy the claims management department and, and, and you know, for the file rather than uh, an attempt to deny a claim. And, and I, think, I think my takeaway from all of that is the claims process um, has, a, uh, has, a, has, a, has a process around it but works and, and claims are paid. What, really, what we're keen on demonstrating to the market is that we're still there afterwards and, and pursuing recoveries uh, through our workout teams in the bank is something which, which we've demonstrated we do you know, right down to, 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 to the last piece of security enforcement or fire insurance proceeds, etc., cetera, um, which we'll, we'll rightly share with, with the insurer later. So I see why insurers take such a, uh, an important view of, of, of claims management and, and of security, um, but the claims process works. Excellent. So do you think a standardised product is actually viable? There's a lot of talk about it and like how, how far off are we? You know, we talk about this every year and uh, well, you know, when is this going to come to fruition? Well, we do talk about this every year, don't we, Max? But I think, um, I think, I think we're getting closer. Um, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the conference today. There seems to be greater consensus that it is a desirable thing to have, which is the first objective here, to get everyone to agree that it's a good idea in the first place. Um, I still think that that is not universally shared, particularly by every insurer um, who, who like to think that a differentiated product is, is something that they can offer as a competitive advantage, um, or at least as a, as, a, as, a, as a competitive advantage to core clients. Um, my view is a little different on that. I think that um, if we're selling comprehensive non-payment insurance as, as a binary product which responds to uh, a loss, uh, non-payment by, by an obligor, um, then what claim is an insurer seeking to deny um, by having slightly different language or slightly different wording? Um, I absolutely accept that all the principles around fair presentation and loss minimization, working towards recoveries should remain. 
But clarity around the operational risk management of, of a policy, I think, is absolutely critical. Um, we don't necessarily need the policy to be tradable, which I suppose is in some people's minds why you would have a standardized wording. But it would make, for example, the syndication of, of large loans more efficient. Um, yeah, whichever bank is, is leading the transaction, and, and we all fight with each other for that MLA status, could rely on a, an insurance product which was acceptable to other banks, whom we know are buying insurance. You know, there could be a large sovereign deal in Africa, to, be, to, to cite the sort of obvious example, where we know that every bank is active in that space is using insurance. But it would be a much more efficient process if there was a wording that everyone could use, if you know, the lead MLA um, could coordinate the placement of that. I suspect brokers would be the ones who get a little bit itchy about this um, because you know, they, they want to be uh, showing their own wordings and, and protecting their own clients. Um, but it has to come. Um, it would be preferable sooner rather than later. But it needs some sort of impetus to drive that. Obviously, the PRA consultation was something which you know, may have led to that, um, given the, the, the imperative around certainty of, of payment and timeliness of payment. Um, but I think without a consolidated effort from, from an umbrella group, and it could be one of the trade organizations, it could be the Lloyds Association, it could be some of the work that, that we as the bank buyers are, are, are doing informally together to drive that. But at present, there's no, there's no, there's no overriding um, um, imperative for this to happen. So I, I suspect we'll be talking about it in the next one of these conferences, to be honest with you, Max, but let's try. In terms of uh, buying insurance, I mean, what's more attractive, the ECA market or the private insurance market? They all say they complement each other and they don't compete, but there's a clear sort of undercutting maybe in terms of cost of debt. Um, do, you, do you see that? No, I do see them as different. I, I see them as serving different needs, serving different clients, um, and, and, and really trying to achieve different objectives. Um, I think if you're building a, um, a power project in, in, in a developing market um, over a long-term concession, you need ECAs to, to, to drive that. Um, not only because they have um, development mandates to, to support that sort of project, but, but also because they have the, the visibility and the intergovernmental clout to, to, to affect the, the, the outcome of any kind of problem. Um, on the other hand, the private insurance market is, is nimble. Um, it is responsive, it is flexible. You don't have to go through six months of public consultations. Um, you know, we, can, we can quote something and get it done quickly. So, so my view is that we, as, as an organization, as a bank, will use ECA in our, in our, in our project finance business, in our agency business, um, and we use private credit insurance market everywhere else. And, and whilst there's the, the traditional example of, um, you know, uh, sovereign concession lending which is ECA backed on, on the long-term tranche and then um, private insurance support on a, a down payment tranche for, 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 for an import finance for example. Those are becoming increasingly more limited um, at least from, from where I stand. Um, so I think both are, are critical, both are, are, are uh, serve a slightly different purpose um, and, and long may that continue. You know, we, need, we need all types of, of risk mitigation outlet. And I wouldn't forget, if I can add one more point to this, um, it's not just ECAs and private insurance that we're looking at, right? As a, as, as a distribution 
team and, and we, we pull all that together in, in one group within the bank, you know, we're looking at loan syndicate, bond syndicate, securitization, hedge fund sales, private side sales, alternative asset investors, trade distribution, credit insurance, ECAs. Project so bonds with a wrap, ECA wrap, the sort of local currency. Like Serve did a really interesting thing recently in Russia where they wrapped a project bond with a sort of uh, local currency tranche with enhanced DFI debt and that's really opened up a lot of you know, supply chains and um, yeah, it's a... No, I think I think you're absolutely right, and, and, and I think perhaps cooperation is, is, is the key to this, or at least coordination. Mm. Um, I think these, these channels will serve different purposes and different clients and potentially different markets, um, but we have to remember that there's a, a, a large source of, of capital market money out there looking for a home, whether institutional investors, debt investors, equity investors, and, and our little piece of it, was critically important for, for, for the space in which we play is part of a much larger universe of, of, of financing. Um, and I guess getting out of silos is, is always a useful thing to do, whether it's as a market or within our own institutions. You spoke about that earlier, about getting institutional investors on board because of that scalability and seeing trade finance as an asset class. Yeah. Is that, you know, is that space you're seeing? It's going to grow in the... In the well, we're trying. Um, we're not alone in trying. Others are too. Um, I mean, a few transactions have been done, um, particularly in the, in, the, in, the, in the trade finance space, which is a, a little simpler to, to put together um, in, into a portfolio, just because of the short-term nature of the transactions. Um, it's, it's a little more, um, uh, I hate to say commoditized, but, 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 but it is in, in the sense that there's much less operational management over the um, length of a transaction. It's not a 10-year project financing or 10-year concession financing um, with, with endless waivers and amendments and what have you. Um, so it can be done in, in, in a more speedy manner. What I was talking about earlier today is, is really trying to scale um, the, the use of, 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 of private credit insurance market for, for term assets. We've seen it in um, the aviation market already. Um, so Boeing have launched a pretty successful product that, that looks to offer 100% credit insurance um, uh, to, to which institutional investors can benefit. Uh, I think that's a really important crossing of the Rubicon moment uh, for insurers. We're certainly looking to, to do similar things um, with, with others, um, as well as supporting that, that particular initiative. Um, but I guess my core point is simply that we cannot, as individual banks, um, and I appreciate there are other buyers in the market as well, uh, we cannot endlessly pile on contingent concentration risk on credit insurers. For now, plenty of headroom, plenty of space, and, and plenty of room to grow. But if I'm looking at medium term, um, you know, there comes a point where, where we have to be able to distribute that contingent risk on insurers, just as we've distributed the obligor risk to insurers. And that's sort of my future state view that I was talking about earlier at the conference um, around, uh, around the, 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 the need for us to, to welcome institutional investors and, and provide for them in, in the way that the documentation works and responds to, to their needs. And finally, what are your biggest fears about, you know, uh, PRA, Basel IV, you've got, you know, sovereign risk mm. exposures, you've got leverage ratio requirements. What, what, are, what are your biggest fears about, about these sort of looming um, yeah. regulatory uh, constraints? Well, we, we've certainly looked at, at all of the things that you've mentioned there. Um, there's always the uh, uh, risk of sort of going down the rabbit hole on these things, and I'm reasonably confident that we will come out the other side um, 
uh, with a changed landscape, but, but one which is still fundamentally recognisable and, and one which works. So um, on the PRA consultation around the efficacy of insurance, whilst we've not yet had a, a formal response in the PRA, uh, we do seem to be in a position where they have um, uh, listened to the representations that the market have had. I, I heard apparently it's the, the, the most responded to consultation the PRA have ever launched, apparently. Uh, we met them a few times, the institution, uh, well, a number of institutions met with them as well. And it, I, If I was a betting man, I would say that um, we will come out of this with a product which still works, perhaps enhanced, perhaps improved. Um, Brexit is a little bit frustrating, but really it's just a matter of, of licensing. I think we'll be okay on the other side of that, so long as the insurers capitalize the entities that they're offering as security to insureds, um, both in the future EU and in the UK. Um, I think IFRS, IFRS, both 9 and 17, uh, whilst deeply technical and dull, are quite um, important. We've been through that and we think there will be matching accounting entries on the asset and liability side, which makes insurance still work. There was some doubt about that in, in the early days of our analysis. Basel IV um, will depend on how each nation implements it and then how each in, uh, user of insurance, banks uh, I mean here, um, uh, chooses then to, to, to interpret those rules. For us at Standard Chartered, you know, we're already operating with LGD flaws in line with, with, with the future Basel state, so I don't really see a fundamental change in, in the capital efficiency. Um, but that's not the only reason that the we or any other bank uses insurance. Of course we want it to be as capital efficient as possible, um, but we also use it for prudent portfolio management and limit management and to enable us to support our clients to do more. So I think it's one of those things that, that we'll live with. There are much bigger problems in the world than, than what regulators can throw at us. That's great, Guy. That's okay. really good. Thank Thanks you, Max.